0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, with a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code Snell at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere.
1: The Inconquerable. Number 230, January 2015.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We, I'm convening a very large edition of our comic book club to talk about a comic book chosen by the first person I'm going to introduce to you, Lisa Schmeiser, the lead charter member of the comic book club. Hello.
2: Hi, it's nice to be here.
0: And, and uh, you chose Promethea by I did. Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. available where comics are sold on the internet and elsewhere mm-hmm. and uh, and we are going to be talking about the first couple of trades so if you have not read any of it and you don't want to be spoiled you should go read the first couple of trades and then come back and And hey, welcome back, thanks mm-hmm. for reading those trades see what I did there? Anyway, the other <laughs> members of our comic book club tonight Tony Sintelar, hi Tony Hello nerds, uh, I don't have anything quippy to say about Prometheus except that
3: I read it and I'm here to talk about it Well
0: done <laughs> i did the homework hello nerds i did the homework monty Ashley also here hi monty hello this is our world now reading comic books is homework yes the nerds right. won and they have an assignment for you
2: that's the that's what the weeping gorilla says in, in episode 24
0: yeah. weeping gorilla i gotta read comic books as homework yes exactly. tears streams down the weeping and this is
1: the nerds one and this is our world now
0: erica ensign <laughs> is also out there hello
1: Hello. Yes, I, I have learned that reading comic books can be like homework. Ah, very nice. Mm, uh, yeah.
0: and, and so that's so some foreshadowing. And
4: uh, Chip Sutterf is also out there. Hello. It's an honor to be here to talk about one of the most important comic creators ever. And I'm talking, of course, about letterer Todd Klein. Yes. Oh, he's I'm so, so good, glad isn't he? he said
2: that. He's amazing. No, I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. serious. I love his work.
5: Yeah, I was making notes about how good his lettering was mm-hmm. in this yeah. comic book.
2: Oh, my God. He's Don't write in the comic
5: book.
0: Monty, don't do that. It it was digital. I was writing on my screen. Oh, okay. Mm. Don't write on your screen, Monty. That's (laughs) terrible. All right, Lisa, why did you pick Promethea and have us read it? Why? Um, (laughs) I'm not judging here. Well, maybe a little bit. Judges. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I had a few reasons for picking it. Um, One, it's relatively old, so it's easy to get used copies for cheap.
0: 1999 through 2005.
2: Exactly. and One of my goals for having... one of the things I'm trying to do or I'd like us to do with comic book club this year is introduce comics to people who really don't have time every Wednesday to, to pop into a shop and read. And so I thought, well, if it's an older comic and if it's an older comic, you can get it used, which means that it's not a big financial strain either. And so that was another reason. Um, the second reason I chose Promethea is the book is completely done. So we could, if we wanted to assess it as a whole body of work, um, We can talk about this comic knowing full well that Alan Moore is not going to add on like another five issues and completely torpedo everything (laughs) we think about it. Right. So it's a finite closed loop. It's not like when you talk about a TV series and the creator hits the reset button. I mean, this is done. It's closed. It's a finite thing. Um, The third reason I chose it is because it's a deconstruction of the superhero genre. And um, it's also it it goes in a really weird religious direction. And I was just fascinated by I I was fascinated by by the fact that he said, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take the Wonder Woman myth, and I'm going to mix it up with a whole bunch of mystical stuff and see what comes out the other side. Um, the fourth reason I chose it was because it is the most optimistic post-apocalyptic work I've ever run across. And given the amount of a post-apocalyptic dystopian fiction we've talked about here, I thought it'd be kind of refreshing to, to, to approach something that's all tra-la, the end of the world, hooray. And finally, the fifth reason is, to me, it's the most Alan Moore thing he's ever written. <laughs> It is it – is, if if you had to take a look at his body of work and then say, pick something that distills the essence of Alan Moore down into one book, this would be the book to do it. There's just – and there's layer upon layer upon layer. And so – and finally, as I was rereading it, the the reason that bubbled up from my subconscious is um, this book is now old enough where we can use it as kind of a historical artifact of, of – the nineties, because I'm pretty sure it's when he started thinking about it and writing it. And it's fun to see this as an artifact of where comics were going in the nineties and where, where, societal attitudes were too. And, and to compare them to, to what we're doing today. Huh. So those are all my reasons. All right.
0: Fair <laughs> enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I, I, I am. So I started the, one of the reasons I, uh, I said, uh, let's absolutely do this. I mean, one is I've read a lot of Alan Moore and not just the, you know, Watchmen and The For Vendetta and From Hell and uh, the <laughs> Swamp Thing, but also his uh, latter day uh, comic stuff like Tom Strong and Top Ten. I, on and on. On one level, I think you're right that it it is very Alan Moorey, and I, in all ways, including you know the, all the great ways and also all the terrible ways.
2: Yes. Um.
0: I think yes. I think it's all in there. And the other reason I was fascinated by this is because I was I was thinking about Wonder Woman, and you know um, there a lot of talk about whether there would be a Wonder Woman uh, movie after various failed TV series, which they've announced they are going to do a Wonder Woman movie now. And um, also, I went and saw uh, a play called Lasso of Truth, which is actually about the guy who invented Wonder Woman, which is a fascinating story in, unto itself.
2: Have you read the Jill Lepore article, which is excerpted from her longer book on the origins of Wonder Woman?
0: i I haven't, although I feel like I since I saw an entire play uh,
2: it's probably none of its new but no. like the the polygamous relationship and the s and m undertones and his pretty strong feminist leanings and all of that
0: yes, and in fact, yeah. he is the creator of the of the uh, of the lie detector. so the man who invented yeah. Wonder Woman's lasso of Truth also invented the actual lasso, lasso of, of truth, truth. the Whoa. lie detector
5: I'm in the middle of that book, and it is great. I thought I knew everything about him, but He's a really weird dude. There's lots more to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So... I, I I'm that fascinates me that Promethea is this you know Alan Moore postmodern take on Wonder Woman as well mm-hmm. which is this is a mythological figure that is sort of like superimposed on top of a regular girl and creates this uh creates this kind of superhero amalgam um and so that, that it looked, seemed like a pretty rich stew to to jump into and and uh and uh you're not supposed to jump into a stew but that's what I did I jumped into it it was like a hot tub full of stew mm, and I jumped right in <laughs> anyway uh, and i found it fascinating <laughs> i don't know where we go from here what w- lisa would you like to throw something out cuz like i said sure. i feel like i feel like this is your baby
2: so the first question i wanted to bring up um, to the crowd at large uh, was exactly how much do you think more knew about wonder woman's history and the the creator because one of the themes that I noticed pops up through the course of the first two trades. And what I'm going to say is I feel like we should, rest, we, we should try to focus the discussion on the first two trades because that's what almost all of us have read and can contribute to. Um, but what, yeah, seems so to pop, what seems to pop up over and over again is um, the idea of the creator as somebody who has an innate streak of, um, of iconoclasm. And, that, and he comes back to that over and over again where the very nature of being a creative person sets you apart from the mainstream. And it's also something that, while it allows you to contribute to the world, it ultimately damages you. Because as they point out in the comic books, Promethea, for, for those of you catching up, Promethea is is basically the reification of imagination. She's the living avatar of imagination. She was originally a little girl. Um Two gods pulled her into the immateria, which is the realm of the imagination, and so basically she's a living avatar. When people imagine her, she can possess them, or they can become her living avatar on Earth. And over the course of the first two books, you get introduced to a series of artists or artist muses who had imagined and and, and loved and become invested in Promethea, and so became Prometheus themselves. And as one of them points out, every single one of them died as a result of of Engaging in this myth, right. creating this myth, and becoming this myth. So, what I wonder about is—is is do you think Alan Moore knew a whole lot about Wonder Woman, or is this just a general, larger statement on creativity?
4: Um, yes. I mean, <laughs> all, right, he,
3: <laughs> all right. Well done. You got to check for that. <laughs>
4: check for No, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it had to be both. I mean, Al, Alan Moore is is a genius about the comics field, and uh, is is it, he's 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 an artistic formalist who really digs in deep into comics and tries to make them tries to make them do things that they've never done before but it's all about the the art form itself so he had to know a lot about the history and all, and all that but at the same time um at the same time it it turns into such this meditation on imagination itself that I'm reading this thing and all I can hear in the background is magician Doug Henning in the background talking about imagination.
0: <laughs> oh, it's you
2: know, you
0: know, he, <laughs> the <laughs> world of imagination. Everybody, Maybe, he, maybe exactly. he's
2: our world's avatar of Promethea. We never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, let me go around round table. Um, who is your favorite Promethea out of, out of the ones that we get introduced to? Oh. There, did, did everybody find one that they identified with, or is there one that you liked or disliked or, oh. or, or, or related to? Like, what are your emotional responses to the different Prometheas? And, and I,
0: I mean, and... I, I like, I want to start by saying, I like the fact that there's in the, in the, um, you get introduced to Promethea uh, through the current holder of, of Promethea mm-hmm. um, who is aging and, uh, and, and, uh
2: Barbara, yeah. Yeah,
0: and she's not really up to it anymore. Yeah. And, and, and that's interesting and very traditional comic book hero, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, go, the the go, the what? Yeah, Golden Age hero is about to retire, but the Silver Age hero is going to step in and become the new Promethea, right? But what I love is that then when um, Promethea visits the, uh, the land of imagination, um, she finds everybody who's ever been Promethea basically hanging out by a pool and, um, and talking to each other and there's like the essentially greek chorus of prometheus and I, I i love that as a concept the fact that like the whole prometheus squad is there as promethea to comment on what's going on and to help her out i think that 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 takes it to a whole other level from the you know you just meet meet your, your you know the the mentor the originator
2: no um, you meet everybody who's at the job that's yeah. like the greatest thing
0: yeah yeah so i thought that was i thought that was really cool.
5: Well, um, my favorite Promethea is Margie. The little par- girl? Partly because everyone's mean to her and I get defensive over her. And also just because I love Little Nemo in Slumberland.
1: Uh, so
5: I am totally in for any references or, in this case, outright knockoffs of the concept.
1: I honestly had trouble remembering who is who. I... Trouble keeping them keeping them separate in my mind. and I was constantly having to go back and be like, okay, which one is this, and, and what's their deal? So I wouldn't say I had a favorite because I struggled so much to remember who was whom. Yeah,
4: I, I'll be boring and say that uh, Sophie was my favorite. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I noticed was that their voices they they occasionally become very specific and distinct, and otherwise, and at other times they talk like each other. And I don't know how um I don't know how purposeful that was, but it also made it difficult for me to tell them apart sometimes yeah. um You have to really pay attention to the costuming and everything else and I think you know they're supposed
5: to be different aspects of the same character but well, yeah. luckily for me, Margie not only doesn't talk like everyone else; she has her own lettering <laughs> thanks to Todd yeah. Klein being a genius.
2: <laughs> yes, genius, she's not even
4: Todd really Klein. a Prometheus. She just sort of she's just sort of this annoying tag along. She's a cartoon character, uh,
0: yeah, in a comic book. <laughs> If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I guess if I had to if I had to pick a favorite, it would be Sophie Banks, mostly simply because I felt like I was kind of on the journey with her. She had no idea what was going on at the beginning and and I had no idea what was going on either. So, therefore, she was my my identification character.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that that's good and I, and like I said, I really like I like Barbara and the fact that she's dealing with the fact that she's passing. This is the end of her life essentially and she's passing this torch Uh, To Sophie and then, uh, you know, inevitably she's going to pass into the the realm of imagination. I will throw a shout out to Bill because I I, I think the idea that a um, closeted gay male artist who um, drew Promethea and sort of uh, idolized her. Um, and then that plot line that 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 he takes where he becomes Promethea and falls in love with a man who doesn't realize that this is a man who's turned into a woman um mm-hmm. and ends up getting killed as a result I, I i thought that that was poignant and also quite an interesting like if you're gonna have this wall of Prometheus to have that be be one of the twists i thought was was really brilliant, yeah, and uh, I could also identify. Uh, which Promethea was Bill. So I was yeah. like, Oh, that's that one.
2: <laughs> Cause Bill's so, got the pants. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, got the, 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 the,
0: the little rings around the legs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, what I, th- what I thought was interesting. Um, when I went back through and looked at him is one of the reasons I love Barbara is because I feel like over the course of the book, you're also getting a look at the, um, it in an, an, sort of a subtle meditation on the impact that create a creative life has on a relationship and the feedback loop, between the creator and their partner, and and how much of it might be a joint endeavor and how much of it isn't, because remember Barbara says, well, he used to, he used me as his model for his imagination for Promethea. I don't have his imagination, which is why I basically look like myself in in the costume.
0: Right, but she's you know so, and that's fascinating. that She becomes Promethea, not not the writer, but yeah, but, right. but the the muse. But his wife, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the model,
2: and um. I realize we're restricting this to the first two books, but in the third, there's actually a really lovely sequence where um, you do get to see more about their relationship. And it is very, and it really, it, it makes me wonder if Alan Moore was, was saying something about, you know, well, this is, this is the reality of, of what it's like to be the person who's in love with a creative force. This is the reality of what it's like to be a, a creative person who has the need to love and connect with somebody and pull them into their endeavor, even if they don't fully understand it. So So I really like Barbara for that reason. I
4: really like Barbara and Bill. I do want to interject, though, that one of the things that made me a little uncomfortable reading this book is that there are all these feminist statements, and we're in a time right now uh, with Gamergate and everything else going on. I kept, in the back of my head, I don't know Alan Moore very well as far as his personal life and (laughs) philosophies outside of comics and things like that, but... I felt a little bit like I was being mansplained to the guy telling the story has Barbara looking older and overweight and unattractive. Mm. Bill has Bill has his gender issues, becomes a her. And I almost would have felt more comfortable if it hadn't been Alan Moore writing this, but if this had been a woman writing it.
2: That's it. what was funny is I I actually felt almost the opposite because when you get to the whole tantric sex scene and oh the cup and the wand and the cup and the wand and I'm like oh my uh, god uh, really uh, really
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it goes back to the I can hear yeah. see that's and, that's and I roll when you my go, eyes and, and then then I when say you oh to the
2: tarot and it's all and you look at the symbiology on the cards and you know there's the harlot at one point and, and I went back and took a look and I thought well on the one hand he's got this this whole Prometheus is a woman, and she's imagination. But on the other hand, he's got some pretty gender-determinist ideas going on, and so uh, I was a little uncomfortable with the book on that level because I feel like he starts off strong by pointing out that imagination should, in theory, make gender both fluid and a construct. But then it turns into, "But no, the laws of the universe are that man and woman and <laughs> and, and uh, I was like, "Oh, really? This is where we're going with it."
5: I'll just I'll just briefly point out that the year after. Promethea ended is the year Lost Girls finally came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he was okay, working on else, his
2: Well, anybody else hear cop to reading Lost Girls?
5: I read it, I own it.
2: You own it? Yeah.
5: For pseudo artistic crazy <laughs> porn. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, for, yeah. The
1: articles. He re- he for the article. He he only reads articles. it for the article. No, well, it's <laughs> it's
2: Yeah. Well, it's actually one of the most angry and emotionally disturbing of <laughs> of his work. I'm, and and I'm yeah. not I'm not being arch about that. It was um it's it's genuine, genuinely speaking. There's a lot of anger on that, and there's a sequence in the first two books again where there's like those two demons for hire who go after Sophie early on, and they uh, they call the cab driver and what he's doing to his granddaughter, mm-hmm. and they hand him the gun. And I was like, okay, I've I've this is clearly a, a theme that he's working on because it comes up again and again. The damage that people can do to children that that's like a huge thread that runs through Lost Girls, and I thought it was interesting that he puts it out there and then he gives the reader this this um almost unearned sense of catharsis with oh don't worry bad people will, will will you know get their comeuppance because there are forces in the universe to give it to them so that was something that stuck with me it it didn't the first time i read the series but you know the first time of the series i hadn't read lost girls so mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go well i tried to do some back i tried to do some background reading because i'm like surely other comic sites have tackled this let's see if anybody's done this and i kept running across these essays where everyone's like i i, I don't know what to say and this made me think of the biggest question I want to ask you guys, which is do you think that this book might be perhaps a little too complex with too many layers, systems, <laughs> systems of meaning? Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> yeah or, or, you know, are we struggling because we may be used to reading really complex prose novels, but when you get so many different levels of narrative, like you have in a graphic novel where there's all of this visual imagery on top of the text and you have to negotiate the relationship between them too. Do you think maybe we're getting like what basically amounts to four times the complex novel?
5: Is this the part where I say yes again? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure.
5: This, time, <laughs> yeah. this time I was reading it on my computer, so I was using
0: Guided View, uh-huh. which <laughs> goes from panel to panel. I, I flipped oh, it into Guided View, which I never use, just to it, say, let's see what the person who did Guided View thinks. I should look at. <laughs> me here. too. This is a comic
4: that <laughs> breaks comicsology a it bit.
5: It is because so many, so much of the design is here's the whole
0: page. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Now yeah. you guess what order these panels go. <laughs> there's there's also a lot of zooming in. There <laughs> was like, here's some panels. Now yeah. let's zoom out. Now we're gonna go back in. Now we'll come back out. <laughs> oh man. Because
2: I was I was looking at the sequence where um. Sophie is is busy uh bip bit bopping through um uh, it's the it's the last issue in trade paperback number two. Yes, ch- chapter six. I, I have and grievances
0: I've, about this issue. Well, I was just looking at
2: the stupid Scrabble tiles at the bottom. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, everybody an anagram, and oh, there's a stupid running joke at the bottom, and the joke is done by man in different stages of development. And, oh, look, there's a history of Western civilization at the top, yeah. and then on top of that, you have macro and micro who are busy giving you really bad hackneyed rhymes, and there's the, it's the Socratic dialogues, and I thought to myself only you could only do this in comics and then another part of me is like this is
1: (laughs) (laughs) i
0: I always wanted to know who the two snakes and the caduceus were and what their personalities were like no i never wanted to know that but i found out I need to take a sponsor break. I want to tell you about Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items in a box, in a crate. The Loot Crate includes licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and a whole lot more. I just got my first Loot Crate Over the holidays, it was really cool. My kids liked it. I liked it. We have distributed equitably the items in the box. And even the box was cool. It was like a little... That cave inside the box. It was really awesome. There's a little magazine that goes with it that tells you about the stuff that's in. It's a really cool thing. You should try it out. So in 2015, they wanted the first crate of the year to celebrate geek and gaming items of the past. So they're rewinding and giving Star Wars and Voltron stuff, putting those in the box, along with some epic geek apparel and a lot more. If you are hearing this before January 19th at 9pm Pacific Time, you can subscribe and get the January box by going to LootCrate.com slash Snell and enter code Snell to save 10% off any new subscription to LootCrate. If you're hearing this after January 19th, then the Star Wars, the Voltron, the Epic Geek Apparel... You're not going to get that, but you know what you can do? You can still go to lootcrate.com slash Snell and sign up with February's crate. What's going to be in February's crate? I don't know yet. Although that's one of the beauties of uh loot crate is you never really know what you're going to get. Even if they give you hints, the, the opening the box is a joy. They're like a pal who knows the stuff that you love and likes to surprise you with awesome stuff every month they ship to nine different countries there's more information on the loot crate site uh, and it's not just a subscription service there's a whole community of fans that are sharing the stuff that's in their crates with each other and showing off what they're doing with it it's a lot of fun so if this sounds cool if having cool geeky stuff appeals to you like it appeals to me go to lootcrate.com snell snell a code snell to save 10 off any new subscription thank you loot crate for the cool little box i get every month and for sponsoring the incomparable if you read the script
5: for From Hell, oh, like every uh-huh. panel has a thousand words describing everything that's in it and explaining all the research he did, which is why I think he knew everything about Liam Moulton Marston. Yeah, But it's like this was Alan Moore deciding, I'm just going to put in everything I think of.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes, my entire worldview.
2: Yeah, which I, is why mm-hmm. I think this is like the most quintessentially Morian thing ever yeah. because it's, it's him doing all sorts of fancy intellectual backflips Um, because one of the things I do love about, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen*, for example, is how he basically, it's basically highfalutin fanfic.
5: Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) sure. It's gotten less highfalutin. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Yeah. it has. I got like the one volume where like, oh, so, so, so that is what Nina Harpist gets up to these days.
5: I think that's about where
3: I was like, ah, I'll find some other things to read. (laughs) But it was
2: obvious, like for a while, he really loved these characters and he loved these stories and he loved the idea of trying to fit them together in a whole macro narrative, right? And so here he's kind of doing the same thing where I'll throw in Hermes and I'll throw in Thoth and I'll Uh, throw in the history of the Western world and I'll throw in the Kabbalah and then I'll do a whole lot of commentary on how awful Generation X is and (laughs) I'll send up the super – and after a while you're like, dude. We get it. Dial it back, man.
1: I kind of look at it as sort of, I have to step back and look at it as just a a work of art. And usually anytime I describe something as a work of art, it means it's not something that I really appreciated on an emotional (laughs) level. It's (laughs) something that I can look at it and say that this... Intellectually
0: appreciate it. Yeah.
1: This took an awful lot of work, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that 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 there were this many intellectual backflips that went into it. I was I was actually really excited after reading the first trade because I I thought at first that maybe it was going to be a little bit more of a straightforward narrative that uh-huh. you had. That, <laughs> I love the idea of the land of the I'm imagination. So it reminded me of like <laughs> Fantasia from the Neverending Story. But the more we got into the you know the Kabbalah and the Tarot and the mysticism, I mean I've read an awful lot of stuff about that sort of thing, but I prefer to read about that in a more straightforward, you know, kind of like this just made me want to go back and reread Breaking Open the Head by Daniel Pinchbeck, which is a a real world story of self-discovery as opposed to this very artsy-fartsy version thereof. So I just felt like I was, it was preaching to the choir and I don't like being preached to. And I really don't like being preached to when I have to read like six different types of things all going on on the same page. Some of it in poem.
2: Yeah. Although I, I, I liked it more than the invisibles which is grant morrison kind of doing the same thing
1: yeah
2: because yeah okay you know what i'm talking about where you're like deep
3: size (laughs) you know they're kind of in a similar place in my head where um you know very smart people who i respected strongly encouraged me to read them and i got a lot further in promethea than i did in the invisibles but like yeah i got Uh, i I have trade one of the collection of the invisibles and i have never finished it and i'm not Uh, I don't think I ever will.
2: I think you could launch the podcast called Lisa Grumbles about The Invisibles for 45 minutes, (laughs) and I could probably fill it up for like six weeks. Some people who
3: have recommended some other very good comics to me really like The Invisibles, but like, yeah, I, I could not get into it.
4: This book reminded me of another uh, Grant Morrison book, an earlier one though, Animal Man. Um, <gasps> oh and, 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 and Jesus! This...
2: Oh that! Oh wow! <laughs> no, <laughs> because he tied it into the Lost. What was it? The Lost Children, which was that big old Vertigo multi-crossover that had part of um, Sandman, and it had Animal Man, and it had um, Doom Patrol, and no, and, and like uh, Teffy from the and Swamp Thing, Teffy gets tied into it somehow, and and. What's her face? The little girl from Animal Man. And then I went back and read Grant, Grant Morrison's Animal Ran Run and was like, I, I don't take enough drugs to read this on a regular basis.
4: <laughs> but the, the, a lot of the same stuff is going on here. Um, that that was a series that starts out as um, uh, commentary on superheroes and ends as a commentary on comic books and uh, plays a lot of the same tricks, I thought, better than Promethea did because Promethea is a polemic. Um, and this gets into the third, fourth, and fifth trade paperbacks. Uh, I mean, there's a big be difference gentle. between books two, one and two and what comes after that. It's it's huge. It's like a. It's like Alan Moore said. It's it's time to preach.
1: Yeah, by like, by the time you get to book five, you've got to be in it. Right, and actually, I have to say, without without being spoilery, the very last issue is is the voice sort of changes, and it's it's much more straightforward, <laughs> and it's a lot less, you know. I don't know. It's it's a lot less silly, I guess I thought. So honestly, I think my favorite one was the very, very last one, where it's more just a case of of Ellen Moore. He just kind of strips away some of the artifice in between himself and the the reader and is is basically more just talking straight at you rather than putting it in layer after layer of of gauzy weirdness.
3: I feel like he kind of insists on doing that at some point in all of
1: his works, and that's usually Mm -hmm. where I get... Exasperated. (laughs) See, I'd rather have that than all the rest of it.
2: So I wanted to ask you something, and it didn't occur to me until I did a reread of Promethea and then went back and looked at some of his earlier works. Um, the, The friendship between Stacia and Sophie... I wanted to see what you guys thought about that friendship, uh, how it reads to you, what you think they see in each other, and why so much attention is paid to it.
1: I hope I never have a friendship like that. I just, I felt the way that I read it was that they were both such uh, damaged people who did not really know how to get along in society that they couldn't do any better than each other. And I kept hoping that maybe they would just go their own separate ways and find some real friends and... Yeah,
3: you guys have read more than me, but I, I have to say that was kind of the stuff that I struggled with the most. I mean, everything else is so kind of is, is all this kind of weird fantastic stuff, um, and the stuff between them like just didn't. I don't know. I didn't find that writing as good, and it didn't feel particularly believable. I guess.
2: Yeah, because the only the the most charitable explanation I could, could come up with is maybe Stacia is supposed to be Moore's take. On the vacuity or shallowness of Generation X, because there's a lot of stuff in here that makes me think that he tends that 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 he really hated the '90s. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, because a lot of the aesthetic. Um, I, I was looking at the trends that Stacia rocks, and a lot of it is is very um, 1990s club kid looking. You know, with the, the the beehives and the hair colors and things like that. Weeping gorilla is basically that. <laughs> Weeping gorilla is like the most 1990s thing I can think of. You know, especially when he's got that one track where he's like, "I could if I could have only listened to just one more Radiohead track," and I was like, "Oh, there we go." But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, w- I was wondering if is supposed to be his his indictment of, oh, this is the cha- shallow techno obsessed. Non critical consumerist generation, and they're big into pop culture nostalgia, and so they're incapable of genuine creativity because he has such active hostility for that character. I,
5: I think that, especially the club she's at with the terrible rock lyrics, oh, yes, blasting <laughs> yeah. all over the place. Uh, that's not lyrics are
0: like Alan, knock it off, yeah yeah i um i wanted to i wanted to back up to talk about th- that issue number twelve again only because this is this is we touched on it briefly but um i i kind of want to lower the boom on it because um uh, this i i i like erica i appreciated the effort good job good effort that went into it <laughs> and yet at the same time i kind of hated it yes A- and um <laughs> uh, so it 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 reminded me of like an art installation where they might have like some paintings on the walls and some sculpture and you think, oh, it's art. But there's also like a boombox playing beat poetry on one side and another boombox playing different beat poetry on the other side. So it's a cacophony and you don't understand it because there's t- just too much going on and you're completely overwhelmed. And then somebody uh, is like yelling footnotes at you. Yeah. That is what that is. And it's the entire issue is like that. And it it is Alan Moore telling us how much research he's done and or what his personal metaphysical beliefs about the universe and or tarot cards are. (laughs) And it is it it, it is so far off the rails that it's it's kind of breathtaking
1: to watch somebody with that level of talent.
2: When he brings up a Harpo Marx tarot card, you're all really?
1: Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) But dude, if you were on some like Amanita muscaria mushrooms, you would be like Understanding everything to a degree of clarity. I read issue 12 and it blew my mind, man. Mm -hmm. Well, this is
2: why I I, I feel like this. I actually feel like this book is a huge artifact of the 1990s, like intellectually and psychically and pop culture speaking. Um, One of the reasons I actually dropped out after my master's is I was in grad school at the time when deconstructionism was huge and everyone was talking oh we break down the signifiers of meaning and yes. every opposite
0: I, I should we should we should footnote by the way deconstructionism back then did not mean taking all the different ingredients of a sandwich and putting them separately <laughs> on a plate That, that, no. that that's that no. what it means it now was, it
2: was Jacques Derrida <laughs> and it was a lot of Helena Sixou and you need to challenge the, the borders that had been reified by the academy blur blah blur. and I was yeah. like I can't really spend another four years pretending that I respect this and so I left and um
0: but there's issue 12 of Promethea for you.
2: That an issue 12 of Promethea was like honestly it was like the performance art I had a class and the class that actually got me thinking, I need to get the heck out of school, was one where our, our professor had challenged us to do a creative interpretation of the history of communications technology.
5: <laughs> I am Morse code. That's right. Join <laughs> me.
0: I am a radio wave.
5: Like,
2: there was this one guy who came in and, and, like, put himself in a foil box and began reciting beat poetry. Of course. And there were people who liked interpretive dances to hypertext and Jenny Holzer stuff. And I was like, oh. I and I was like, I can't even. I just wrote a regular paper deconstructing the creation myths in Wired magazine for two years, and, <laughs> and and issue twelve was basically like sitting through that class all over again. And you know, when I looked down at the Scrabble tiles, and I was like, Oh my god, he's done nothing but anagrams. This is this is. I, I sort of feel like amigra- anagrams are what you do in fifth grade, when you're like, Whoa! If you rearrange letters, they mean different things yeah, have, in the same uh-huh. set blew my really? mind. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a parlor trick. <sighs> I, I think it's
0: I think it's a shame because I, I again there's a lot of really great deep interesting material here, but it's like I mean we say this so often on this show. In fact, it's like it's like there's nobody there because he's Alan Moore, right? There's nobody there to say Alan too far. Dial it back a well, little. And get, there are plenty
4: of people out there who are saying.
0: You go, Alan Moore. Brilliant genius, work of work of Um, work of genius.
2: Because they feel smarter for having read it as my favorite. It is a work of genius
0: in the sense that he's kind of a genius, and he did this work that is totally bizarre and out there. So there's that, like, like again, I'm going back to Erica. There's that analytical level of like, what did Alan Moore mean when he did this? That's fine, but in terms of like being an Uh, an editor or somebody saying, what was this? What, what do we think this was going to be? I get to issue 12 and I'm like, Nope, this is not what we thought this was going to be. This is kind of totally nuts and you know I, I liked where you were going with the idea of sort of taking the Wonder Woman kind of tropes and investigating those and and, and commenting on them we haven't even talked about the fact that you know Promethea Sophie is a as as, uh, as Stacia points out because she's a really good friend um, that Sophie Sophie's kind of flat chested and Promethea is a cartoon character she's a giant she's like an Amazon with big boobs and And you look at that and you think um, this is a great commentary on the, you know, on individuality and and who's the real person here and how we depict women and, and idealizations of women and all of that, you know, this nice rich thing to draw from. And then issue 12 comes and you're like, oh. Okay, the Big Bang.
2: There's a woman with a snake in the sky, really? Seriously, the Big Bang <laughs>
0: is a male ejaculation, and then Cosmic Inflation is a female something. Yeah. That's the second card? Oh, Ooh.
2: Didn't you see that in Monty Python's The History I, of Life? Yeah. The, the, what I'm, I'm also wondering is, we're reading this in 2015, and graphic novels are, are pretty much... They've come out of the, no, really, their art basement where they were hiding. Mm -hmm. And because you have to admit over the last decade, we've had, you know, wonderful works of nonfiction reportage and we've had really great contained graphic novels. And it's kind of hard to remember sometimes that Promethea was spawned, as it were, when this this. This repositioning of comics and graphic novels when that was still pretty ongoing. Mm-hmm. And my sense is, is that Moore is smart, but he also, whether or not he admits it, he wants to be recognized as one as a literary genius. And oh, so yeah. there, there's a little bit of tryhard to it where, where you're like, dude, just just you know, maybe four systems of meaning per page, not six, you know?
5: I, I think it's important to look at Promethea in context of when it came out, because he was also doing top ten and Tom Strong. Like At exactly the same time. All three of those launched within two months of each other. And Top Ten is good. It's not, you know, annoyingly deep like Promethea is. And Tom Strong is just fun. Yes. So I think at the time he was giving people a range of the Alan Moores and they could pick which one they liked. Do you like the one with the talking gorilla?
4: Mm -hmm. So much so that it was jarring when uh, you get Tom Strong appearing (laughs) in Promethea uh, later on. And it's just like... I'm not—I am not. I'm not sh- I thought I was reading this kind of comic, and now we're back to that kind of comic again.
0: Yeah, and I like—well, I like Top Ten and Tom Strong, and I would say both—I like them both. I enjoyed them both better than Promethea, but I also will accept in that duality that Promethea is obviously an artist trying to do something— big, Big, mm-hmm. and about the universe, whereas Tom— Tom Strong and Top Ten are kind of about comic books and. I got I got to
2: make sales. I got to make sales. Well, but they're also. I
0: mean, while I comment on the genre and yeah, and 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 do a twisty narrative and and all of that, and so I can appreciate Prometheus' uh, ambition level versus Top Ten and Tom Strong, which I like. I also I I you know sometimes I wonder. I try to think about Alan Moore, and forgive me for taking this even further off topic, but sometimes I wonder about him in the context of somebody who has sort of done everything there is to do and has been acclaimed as one of the greats in his chosen medium. And what do you do after that? And and then he's got his extra anger about like DC Comics taking advantage of him <laughs> and all that. And so you end up with this like, you know, what, what's your next act? And for him it was America's Best Comics. I'm going to do these different titles. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something superhero-y over here. And I'm going to do this, something mythological over there. And I mean, it is kind of... On one level, I mean, I have no idea how he he turned down all the money from the movies. So obviously, he's got enough money to live on and doesn't care, and can just turn the money down or give it to Dave Gibbons out of spite for Watchmen. <laughs> well, most of the movies
5: are not making a lot of money. That League of yeah. Extraordinary Gentlemen movie.
0: Well, that's true, but I mean, just for the just for the rights, my understanding is they keep trying to shovel money at Alan Moore, and he keeps saying, "Give it to the colorist, give it to the letterer, give it to mm-hmm. the artist. I don't want it. Um, I don't want your filthy money." Well, that's fine, but uh, so then let's just assume. Alan Moore can do whatever he wants. Um, that's kind of fascinating. Like you you, you have reached the pinnacle. You can do whatever you want. And, you know, and and that puts you in this position where you're like, all right, well, I'm going to do this crazy like uh, Kabbalah infested. Um, uh,
2: Wonder Woman gets religion. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that.
0: And when I'm done with that, I'm going to do
5: pornographic fanfic. And well, I'm going to retire to my giant mansion and worship my snake god. while my pal Neil writes novels.
2: He's living his best life. I think Oprah should talk to him about that.
0: Let me take a sponsor break here. I want to tell you about MailRoute. Imagine a world without spam, viruses, or bounced email. Imagine opening your mail and seeing only the legitimate stuff that you want and need to receive. You can do this with MailRoute. Get spam out of your box. Get it out of your mail server. I've been using MailRoute for quite a while now, and it has cleared out my inbox. It can do the same for you, uh, it, there's no hardware or software to buy. MailRoute is a service that lives in the cloud. It takes in your mail, it uses some serious intelligence to filter out the spam and viruses and other just junk stuff, and it doesn't deliver that to you. Instead, it holds onto that stuff and it passes through to your mail server only the good stuff. So if you're a desktop user, you can find that the user interface is simple and reliable. But for you email administrators and IT pros out there, you want to check it out. They've built all the tools with you in mind. They've got an API for account management. They support pretty much anything you'd want from the people handling your mail. LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, all of that stuff. No hardware or software to buy. Remove spam from your life for good, I did. Go to MailRoute.net slash incomparable for a free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. I've been using it. It's working great. My inbox is clearer than it's ever been before. Check it out. And thank you so much to MailRoute for sponsoring the incomparable.
1: Yeah, the, the word I keep coming back to when I think about this is it's. I feel like he thinks of this as maybe his masterwork because it ties together a bunch of other things. And mm-hmm. it looks like he's really putting himself on the page perhaps more than even in, in some of his other work and this this really is a worldview in, in you know in color and mm-hmm. yeah good for him
4: I'll see your I'll see your uh, masterwork and I'll raise it to manifesto
2: yeah okay mm-hmm. that works that works it's one of the things that I find astounding is how much he seems to hate Western civilization because that comes to- <laughs> no it does because the way that he depicts 1999 the, the, the mm-hmm. world that Stofian says – It's pretty clear to me that Stacia is a product of that world, like purely and wholly of that world.
5: Well, he hates modern Western civilization. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen later things suggest he really likes... Like old stuff.
2: Weeping gorilla. Weeping gorilla is is basically the 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 stand in for. I hate the way sentiment has been commercialized, and the bands are basically a stand in for. I hate the way music today is nihilistic and doesn't talk about meaningful things like it did in the '60s. And um, the science heroes are an indictment of of the corporatization of of. Um, the state and also he really hates the fantastic four. Oh, well, who doesn't? (laughs) uh, (laughs) They're science heroes. What are you talking about? They're the five swell guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Five totally different number. There's
2: like this thing in, there's this thing in, um, book number two where I made a note of it. I'm trying to find it now. Um, where oh it's the oh it's the ridiculous tarot issue that has us all uh, banging your heads against oh. the wall. Where basically he's talking about how the age of Aquarius was so awesome because you had this generation that was totally into spirituality and there's a critical mass of people blur blur blur. And I'm like are you are you kidding me with the baby boomers? And um, <laughs> so this this whole this this whole series is is pretty much his his contempt for and weirdly enough not his contempt for the baby boomers but rather
1: his contempt for the people who are reacting to baby boomer culture. So and, basically, on the on the one hand, it maybe is masterwork, and on the other hand, it's, it's just a, a, a giant old man standing inc- on the lawn. <laughs> no, it's a yeah, it's a giant. It's a giant fist raised at the kids, saying, "Get off my lawn."
2: It kind of feels yeah. like that when you when you read through it another time, you're like, "Wow, he really he has a lot of contempt for youth culture in this and for modern culture." And you know, when he's like, "Well, the end of the world wouldn't be so bad because you know, we went off track."
0: I, I one of the things I noticed about it, and and you know, th- here's my theory, which is the Watch Watchmen is very much like. Um, modern society is doomed and this is like modern society is doomed, doomed. but it's he- later and so now he hates a later version of modern society but it's really just whatever is happening he hates it
2: yeah it's yeah. the
0: grand old counterculture days that he's uh that he's
4: pining for yeah everything else sucks he is a fascinating character. That back guy. when you
3: could make an honest living as a drug dealer or something. That's what. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, well the thing and this goes back to my, my innate hatred of academic deconstructionism too. <laughs> Things Lisa hates on podcasts, child actors deconstructionism. Um but the the thing is is you can't have a counterculture unless you have a count unless you have a culture to specifically define it and like I don't think he realizes that in many ways the counterculture both won and lost because it got commodified. So you really can't be counterculture at this point because we've become such a polyglot culture. And it's like he doesn't recognize that. And his works don't recognize that. There's this there's this incredible conformist mass. And then there's like two or three people who see the real world and you're like, really? That's that's, you know, it's not how that's not how that's not how it's worked. And perhaps because again, we're looking at this from the filter of, of fifteen years on where a lot has changed in the global landscape and, you know, the internet has, has, has had it, the internet is now a fact of life for people. Um, there, there's a lot of points of view in this book that I I think are really specific to their time. Like as I was rereading, I thought, you know, this would make a fascinating college class the same way that reading Virginia Woolf makes a fascinating college class, because you don't just read the book. What you have to do is understand the context and the history and why it mattered at the time it was created. And that's, I think, is part of it for going back and revisiting Promethea. I was like, wow, it is, it is startling to read this now, in, in con, you know, especially 15 years after it basically started and realize, like, how much has changed and how reactionary and, and left behind this book feels in some ways. I mean, it's still a beautiful book. I, I think there, oh, isn't a, yeah. there isn't a single page where the coloring isn't. The colorist is phenomenal. And, you know, we can rant about how wonderful Todd Klein is and mm. the art, you know, I, I really feel like J.H. Williams 3 needs, needs a, a special yes, shout out. Yes, yes. It's it's a gorgeous book, but it really is. a lot of the ideas behind it and there's there's kind of no heart at the, at the middle at the center of it. And if you're gonna write a polemic or if you're going to be like this is my life, this is the culmination of my philosophy, like put, put some put some heart into it.
4: I agree with you, but I, in, in the book's defense, mm-hmm. in every single issue, there is something in there clever. There is some there is some beautiful art in every one of these issues. The entire issue as a whole may not hang together at all. But there, but there is cleverness in here, um, yeah. and oh, yeah. um, I take Erica's point about it's a it, it is a work of art, and I, I take I take her point about how about that not being a terribly enjoyable statement thing, uh, but every once in a while I do like looking at art for art's sake, um, and it may be difficult for me to get emotionally involved in it or for me to appreciate it as a story, um, but. It is challenging, and there are neat things that happen in every book.
5: Okay, maybe not thirty-six, but we're not. Gonna... <laughs> well, yeah, I think we're being too a little too hard on it. That mm. I think it's it's certainly gorgeous to look at. I think it's interesting reading, and I think it's fascinating to have a world class weirdo like Alan Moore <laughs> distilled <laughs> down to his Alan Mooreist Say, this is what I think. Alan Moore of all the Alan Moores
0: in the
4: world, you're the Alan moriist, yeah, I like how ambitious this
5: book is,
0: yeah, 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 no, that's why I had no i i I enjoyed reading it and will probably read all of the issues because again, I would like to read everything, Alan Moore well almost everything maybe not Lost Girls uh, has That's written also because he is, fa- he is fascinating even when I don't like or agree with what he's doing I'm yeah. fascinated to see the a great artist at work and why I like it and don't like it I have to admit there are moments where I feel like he is trolling me as a, <laughs> as a, as a comic book reader because having enjoyed Top 10 for example there is a subplot early on involving the uh, five swell guys and the painted doll and an attack <laughs> Oh. at the hospital that is very twisty, plotty, superhero-y in the same way the top 10 is, actually, except it's kind of beside the point. And it's really like, oh, you were you were interested in that. Well, that's not what we're telling a story about today. And uh, I, I, I even kind of appreciate that. But it also reminds me of Alan Moore when he's focused on telling those kinds of stories and how, I mean, this is always in the back of my head is Alan Moore is such a brilliant writer of this this genre of superhero-y kind of stories, so good at it. And I can tell that he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> And, and, you know, he's done it and he's maybe done it better than anybody and he kind of doesn't want to do it again. And now he's just playing with me a little bit like, see, I could do that, but I'm not going to. And it's his, you know, it's up to him. He doesn't have to write those kinds of stories anymore. But he's even when he kind of taunts me a little bit, it's like he's so good at it, even when he doesn't want to be. And, uh, you know, top 10 reminded me how good he was at it.
2: I would love to read a book about those five guys, to be honest with you. The interpersonal oh,
0: guys. They're
5: swell. <laughs> They're swell.
2: The interpersonal dynamics were great. Um, I love them. I love the mayor. <laughs> with the multiple, with the multiple personalities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, if, you know, I would have loved a, a side book about the people who are responsible for Weeping Gorilla. Because It's I've,
0: all just in there.
2: Yeah, no, and I, I find, yeah, it's just, it, there, there are all these details that, you know, in, that you could actually spin out into really rich, entertaining books on their own. And they're just casually tossed out because this is a guy whose idea, whose idea factory never shuts down. Um, Clearly. Well, you know, I feel, I always feel rewarded when I get through his books and, I, and, then, and then go back and, <laughs> oh, I picked this up. Because, you know, it really is engaged reading on on, on a huge level. And, um one of the comic book series I've been reading kind of as a, as a palate cleanser between this is I've been going back and revisiting the Mike Grell run on green arrow, which, uh, was written with, you know, so it's books that are like the late eighties and, um, it's, you know, total tonal shift. It's and and it's literally like a palate cleanser. It's, it's a sorbet to the, 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 gourmet work of Alan Moore. And it makes me appreciate them both a whole lot more, <laughs> but, uh, with Alan Moore, you're like, I'm, I'm effectively reading 10 books at once. And, and that got me to thinking, um, would I have this reaction if it were in a different medium, if it were prose or if it were a TV show and, and it did this? Or, or is this the type of story that you can only tell in comics?
0: I don't know. Melinda Carter would have made an interesting Promethea, but. Uh...
2: <laughs> I think there's a lot of women who would have made it. Yes. interesting Sure. Prometheus. Oh, sure. Lucy Lawless
0: or... would be great. Yeah, actually, God, that's, yes, you're right. Yes. Lucy Lawless basically.
2: Barbara, be she'd be a Prometheus. fantastic Barbara. Oh, my mm-hmm. God.
0: I don't know. Alan Moore, man, Alan Moore. I, I have, I own like 10 different versions of Watchmen. I mean, <laughs> and I think I've got, I mean, I think I've got a couple, uh, a couple V for Vendettas and a from hell. I mean, I, I am fascinated by Alan Moore um, yeah. and all, and all he does. And this is, this is, this is good. It's just, there are those moments where I feel like Alan Moore pulls us aside. And okay, sit here now. And yeah. let me tell you a little <laughs> bit about, yeah. uh, would you like to subscribe to my newsletter? <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's, it's called Dodgem logic. Um, there's one piece of dialogue I wanted to make fun of just really briefly. Um, yes. Just one. Take yes. your time. There's a moment when uh, I think it's Barbara Promethea says, I'm friggin' Promethea, you idiot.
2: Yeah. And reading that
5: now really reminded me of Frank Miller's dialogue for All Star Batman and Robin.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh.
4: Uh, I'm going to steal Erica's role here and I'm going to make the obligatory Doctor Who reference. All right? Uh wow. ghost light. Ghost light. A seventh uh, a seventh Doctor episode where uh they crammed in so many ideas into three episodes and the um and Fandom is hugely divided over whether it is genius or whether it is overwrought, incomprehensible
1: um, nonsense. In, <laughs> incomprehensible
4: <laughs> nonsense. I think Erica and I are both on the incomprehensible nonsense team here, um, and and I get this feeling over. I, I do get this feeling over Promethea um, where I where I am struggling. I'm struggling through the cool stuff and the cool art, and trying to figure out if this is a really a good use of the medium.
1: You know, I think for me, it was. I sound very negative about this, and I I think that the reason for that is simply because I didn't know what I was getting into. My expectations were <laughs> kind of, like I said, set up to be one thing. If I had known what it was going to be going into it, and had was able to sort of shift my mind to be ready for that, I think I would have would have liked it more. But since I was expecting something a little bit more straightforward, it was disappointing to have that that shift. But But I do really think that it was beautiful on both surface levels and incredibly deep levels. I mean, there's a lot of of good in here. Uh, This may not be for me, but I am honestly glad that it exists and I I wouldn't change a thing.
3: I think I'm totally with you, Erica. I mean, I feel like I watch and read and and listen to a lot of stuff that's kind of junk food media. And Mm -hmm. this, though I don't think I care for it, was really interesting in a way that a lot of stuff i i consume is not uh-huh. so so like I don't regret reading it, um, which is, you know, not something I can say about everything I read. I don't, and you know, and I went back and read it again because I wanted to feel prepared and, and I got more out of it the second time. And that's not something that's always, always true, but I don't know if I need to own it, which I currently do. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to go back and read this again. Right. You know, I I feel like I got plenty of other comics on the shelf that I'm, I'm much more likely to read many, many more times before I decide to, to pull this one down again. Um, and you know, I guess that's kind of how I feel about some of his. You know, I've 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 read Watchmen countless times. Um, I don't feel the need to reread his middle stuff of *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen* anymore. I'm I'm okay with that, right? So, <laughs> so yeah.
4: Yeah, there's a moment at book 3 when the, yes. uh, there are characters walking on a Mobius loop and if you're reading yeah. this on an iPad, <laughs> you're in hell. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> because auto-rotate is your worst enemy.
5: Oh yeah. Well, it's designed for it to be in a comic book. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: When I got to that point, I did actually have to put the iPad down and Direct an expletive at Alan Moore. <laughs> take a little walk.
0: Curse, yep. <laughs> shake your fist at Alan Moore, wherever he take is. A walk,
1: and... Take a walk around the iPad yeah. so
0: you can actually see everything. I want to mention that the um, science hero thing, which is in this and, and in Tom Strong, is uh, – I believe I was just talking um, on my walk today with with uh, with my family about we were talking about superheroes and things like that. I didn't start it, but I finished it um, about <laughs> the idea that superhero itself is a trademark co-owned by DC Comics and Marvel Comics. And 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 I realized later that this is why Alan Moore has played up the concept of science hero in these comics because mm-hmm. that's actually his commentary on the fact that superhero is owned as a concept and uh, I thought that was hilarious actually um, wow because he's a bitter bitter man so he's so bitter ooh
2: I man. well bitter is awesome and you know I <laughs> I obviously enjoy bitter men but um but, <laughs> but I don't know what you're talking song. about <laughs> but the uh the um take I took from that as well is since the a lot of this talks about instinct and primordial flow and cosmic rhythms and so on and so forth, is I also had him kind of subtly... Sl- it goes back to his I Hate Technological Progress. I think he's not a really big fan of... Um, scientific culture as oh, it's yeah. emerged in popular culture over the last sixty to 70 years like I think the space race is kind of the worst thing that's ever happened to him personally because <laughs> <laughs> because it, it legitimized science as a way to to learn about creation and it introduced ideas of, of quantifiability and verifying and you have to reproduce results and this is how we know things is because they're immutable and that that is almost counter to this whole, oh, you walk paths and see women having things to do with snakes in the sky. And that's how you know you're on the, the path to truth and freedom. So for me, Science Heroes was also his way of saying, well, I hate the deplorable superhero culture of mainstream comics. Right. Science has not done anything great for culture. Two horrible tastes that taste horrible together. Off we go.
0: <laughs> So his, his uh, Wikipedia biography made me laugh out loud because it describes him as an occultist, ceremonial magician mm-hmm. and anarchist. It's like, yep, that's. That's mm-hmm. you can tell mm-hmm. yep. all that from the beard, really. Yeah, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. I like that occultist ceremonial magician.
2: I was saying that this should turn into a showtime T V series and and I realize it will not happen because it would
0: but it might break everybody's Alan, TVs.
2: Well, mm-hmm. no, what I was thinking is first of all, Alan Moore would be like, I, I don't need the money, and then I thought, well, what they do is they would probably strip the occult out. It would be this woman gets serially possessed by hot women entities and she goes <laughs> off and has adventures and at the end she meets an FBI guy and settles down. Like they would totally yeah. prefer the ending. And in the meantime, it's an example, it's an excuse for women to get into like scanty chain mail and run around and, and I thought, oh man. And I, I need to stop rooting for that to happen.
0: <laughs> and this is why Alan Moore is bitter. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Because, you know, there's – and I thought, well, maybe the religious thing is kind of an off-putting thing because in U.S. culture, we're really generally very uncomfortable with with any sort of – with the idea that people who believe things that aren't Judeo-Christian have have valid rights and their beliefs might actually be worth considering. Like that's not really an idea that we're comfortable with. So. Having an entire series where attractive women will explain the cabality <laughs> might be off-putting, and then I thought, no, they would probably just eliminate that all together and go straight yeah. to, and then she and the she and the five small guys take on, you know, the Y two the Y two K technology that something. goes crazy, yeah. and then they Promethea takes on the crazy mayor, and then Promethea goes on a walkabout to help a lady find her dead husband, and it would just be like that, and. There might be hints of spirituality to keep people, you know, to keep the fan people all, no, no, really, it's going to happen in a minute now. But it would, it would basically be we have attractive women running around and losing their clothes at every opportunity, <laughs> which would actually be the type of series that Promethea would send up in flames as, as proof of a decadent, spiritually dead Western culture that needs to be uh, brought to an end. <laughs>
0: Let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors at Squarespace. You heard them at the top of the show. You know, back in the day, building a website was uh, really, really hard. The number of things you need to know. You need to know the technical stuff about things like the web server. You need to set up uh, the the code. You need, if you want to add e-commerce, there's a whole other series of things that you need to all integrate together. So much effort to do that, even... As recently as a few years ago, Uh, just a really hard thing to do. I definitely uh, felt this pain with a bunch of the sites that I was starting uh, back in the late 90s and in the 2000s. Uh, But the good news is you don't have to worry about it anymore. There's Squarespace. Squarespace makes building beautiful websites easy. You can do it without breaking a sweat. So if you're new to Squarespace, check it out. And if you've been hearing about Squarespace on podcasts like this one for a long time, there's much more to talk about now that Squarespace 7 is here. Squarespace 7 has a brand new redesigned user interface. It's got integration with Google Apps, so it can connect to your email and your spreadsheets and things like that. It's got this amazing partnership with Getty Images, where you can spend $10 per image from the library of getty images 40 million high quality photos the photo licensing happens right within squarespace such a great feature and i want to mention 15 new design templates there are these beautiful responsive design templates so they look great on computers they look great on phones and tablets as well so if you're not a designer you don't want to hire a designer you can't afford to hire a designer you can use these beautiful templates and then you can customize them so you can make them look exactly like you want them to look so Squarespace, beautiful design, simple yet powerful, 24 seven support via chat and email. And the price is $8 a month. If you buy a year upfront, you get a free domain thrown in so you can get your own domain name for free as part of buying Squarespace for a year. What a great deal. So here's what you need to do. You can start a trial today, no credit card required. Just go sign up to Squarespace. And when you do sign up, Use offer code Snell and you'll get 10% off your first purchase at Squarespace and show your support for The Incomparable. That's promo code Snell at Squarespace.com. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere.
1: You know, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the whole attractive women explain the Kabbalah to you because I I feel a little bit like that's what this was. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, we've got this we've got this worldview that that Alan Moore may or may not actually hold, but mm-hmm. it certainly seems like he does. And I think he it, it seems to me like it's almost proselytizing. He's trying to sort of sneak it in via comic book for people who might not otherwise be um, be be associated with these kinds. of I don't ideas. think Maybe he's he-
4: sneaking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, He's trying to sort of open people's
1: minds. Yeah. And this is this is why I didn't like it, because I, I prefer the straightforward approach. And like I said, I've already I've already been through this 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 crash course here. Like, I know this stuff.
0: It's like we'll give you we'll give you a, uh, a free ride uh, from the airport. But uh, along the way, you're going to have to hear about our timeshare and episode or issue 12 is sort of like the the lecture you have to sit through to get the free thing for the timeshare. It's like, okay, I, I know you've bought into this really interesting story. Okay. Let me tell you about my worldview of how the universe
5: was created. It, oh, it's like okay. that one issue in from hell where you just tour London and say, here's all the Masonic architecture. Yep. Yeah, yep. well, the,
2: yeah. There's actually a dynamic in Promethean. Now that you mentioned it, that that bugs me. Cause it pops up a lot in trades two and three, which is um, Randy old men will take young women in hand and explain to them how the world works. And <laughs> it's, it's a little problematic. <laughs> sure. Where you're like, okay, if she's supposed to be the living avatar of imagination, then why does she need so much help from old men who will leer at her while they explain how how the tarot works? Like, what what is going on with that? What 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 are you working out, buddy? <laughs> <sighs> you know, it's I I I, I it it feels kind of icky to me. <laughs> so yeah. and and that just might be me being being hypersensitive, but. I, I found it I found it pretty striking that you have like a few issues where it's like, Hello, Promethea, here's Margaret explaining things to you, here's Bill explaining things to you, here's, you know, oh, what's her name? The the, the one who goes crazy in book three. Um Grace. here she is, Grace. Here's Grace being typically Gracian. Um and you have that, and you're thinking, oh, this is great, because they have this communal pool of knowledge, and they each have different specialties, and then it turns into, and now it's time for you to have sex with an odious old man magician. Oh, yeah, that was
0: so creepy, and- Oh, uh, my God! And, and, yeah. and oh, yeah. yeah.
5: Well, my final statement on this comic is, yes, it's creepy, yes, it doesn't always work, yes, it's- But there are worse things to read than a gorgeous comic book that's an ambitious failure written by- a genius even if he is a
0: complete lunatic
5: that's
3: pretty fair i agree (laughs) completely with that monty
0: i i I agree i am glad to have read it i will read it to the end um and it is bizarre and it's kind of brilliantly bizarre in that way like i would never put this as a favorite comic of mine ever but um (laughs) I, I am fascinated by it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm actually okay with the, uh, the the sex with the creepy old man part. I appreciated that simply because I really liked the idea that, at least in this case, the, the sex is going beyond the physical representation of a person. Now, maybe it would have been nicer if it was a, a, a young hot guy and, a, and an old wrinkly lady or something like that. But to me, the part that stood out and was important was the fact that, that we are not what we look like. There's, there's more to us on the inside so i like yeah. that i agree yeah.
0: it just i don't know i mean some of the imagery is so just like super creepy because i mean because <laughs> I, I
1: appreciated the, that i didn't yeah. i didn't i was so glad he didn't put on a glamour i, I liked yeah. that they they put that ah. stuff in our face because mm-hmm. because really all that's just nonsense anyway that's just yeah. trappings
0: mm-hmm. in the end it's still a transaction but anyway yeah yeah okay. although,
2: I, I, although you know it wasn't a wrinkly old lady and a really hot young man having yeah. sex Right, exactly. That's another and
0: comic that is not, has not been published. No, <laughs> no. I
2: don't know why yeah. Alan Moore is not writing those comics.
4: I just want to um, emphasize how awesome the art is by J.H. Yep. Williams yeah, III. Yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. Beautiful the, art, just the
1: gr-
5: great color, great lettering. Great layouts. Yeah, the layout. So much attention is given to the page mm-hmm. layouts.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. Just and the, the
5: varying styles. I mean, this guy,
4: this guy has no house style. Yeah. the uh, the digital photography in some spots oh yeah the, there's there's, um, a, there's oh, i didn't the pho- even yeah. mention there's a fumetti issue basically yeah. uh, and, uh, and it, it just, works and, it's, yeah, it and beautiful. It's, great. it's great no
2: i yeah. and i love how the, the different prometheus have very distinct body types as mm-hmm. opposed to it's just five women who are you know typical comic babes it's it's yeah.
5: and we're not kidding todd klein is a great letterer and he does great work in this just fantastic lettering
2: todd klein is an unspoken hero because it's such a text heavy comic That if you didn't have all of the subtle differences, it would be very difficult to figure out who's who. Um,
4: His his lettering was one of the reasons I was able to get as far into the book as I was. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the guy who lettered Sandman. and And the fact that I recognized his lettering style and it looked so familiar helped me get past the, okay, this isn't just a superhero comic. There's some weird stuff going on here. Don't think... Don't think Fantastic Four. Think Sandman. You'll get yeah. through
5: this. You'll be okay. Todd Klein's blog had recently like an eight-chapter eight incredibly detailed essay on the evolution of computerized lettering in comic books and how the good letterers now have their own fonts with 12 different exclamation points because they have to adjust the spacing manually all the time. Uh-huh. It's fascinating to me.
2: I want to thank everybody for sticking it out and slogging through this book and uh, engaging with it as rigorously as you did, as opposed to making this podcast an hour of no, no, what did you do, Lisa? no, Lisa? exactly. No, no. it's <laughs>
0: a fa- fascinating, yeah. fascinating to read some of this. And, and uh, yeah, and so I, in some ways, I would say this is the kind of thing that many of us wouldn't have read if it weren't assigned to us, whether it's in a class or for a podcast. So thank you for the assignment. Because uh, I think it was—I I was fascinated to 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 dig into it, and I never would have otherwise. I think.
1: Thanks, Mrs. worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, and our essays are due next Tuesday. 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 Eight pages, double spaced. Have them in Lisa's box by <laughs> five p.m. And but you get an F unless you write it in multiple
5: colors and upside down. Yeah. text. I expect and... to be
2: able to read it right to left. <laughs> And left to right. <laughs>
5: oh, well, my essay is in the form of a Mobius strip.
0: Is that going to be a problem? <laughs>
2: nope. No, it's creativity. Nope. That'll now be get perfect. in a box and start reciting those. I- I'm writing
0: two essays, one on the top half of each page and one on the bottom half of each page, and they <gasps> counterpoint each other. So <clears throat> I hope you enjoy that.
2: <laughs> I turned my essay into an anagram. It's your job to unscramble it and uh, figure out what I uh, said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: really. yeah. Uh, before, so before we go, I wanted, to, I wanted to go around just in case somebody has been uh, has been. Been reading uh, some other kind of comic book related thing that they would like to mention i like it's sort of like our book clubs what are we reading i don't know if you guys have prepared anything oh or but but you know if you if you aren't don't feel bad if you are then uh then share with us lisa something that you've been reading that you would like to share with the group
2: um i have two. i like i said i have been going back through and rereading the the mike grell run on green arrow that he did um back in the late 80s uh if you like if you like this show Arrow, I think you should read this because the whole point to the Mike Grell run was they drop the he and Black Canary drop the code names. They have no superpowers whatsoever. They're basically vigilantes living and working out of Seattle, and um, the art is so '80s, and it's so much fun. And um, I have been working my way through *Pax Romana*, which is uh, what would happen if the Catholic Church went time traveling to try to ensure ins- ins- a permanent religious uh, one world order. And it's a great idea, and there's a lot of great things in the execution. The typeface is driving me crazy, so that's it's but that's been slow going. And for fun, I also read Kelly Sue DeConnick's, um first trade for uh, Captain Marvel, which I oh. loved. It was so much fun. It's so funny. I can't wait for that movie to come out. And
0: uh, we were talking about that on our walk uh, today yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I had to explain oh. the difference between Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've explained that to people and they forget immediately. And then Rogue and the Golden Gate Bridge and you don't even it's just
5: anyway.
1: Yeah, Uh,
2: no, the Captain Marvel but to be honest, the Captain Marvel book reads like The Guardians of Galaxy felt when I was watching the movie this summer. It's 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 that funny and has that that vein of soul running through it, and I highly recommend it to anybody who who is just looking for a romp. And for anybody who's watching the series arrow and wants to nerd out a little bit more, read the Grail stuff. Or, or if anybody who's like, my, that shot looks like a Nagel painting come to life. Like read the Grail stuff. That's a lot of fun.
3: Tony. Uh, I've been rereading a bunch of stuff. Uh, Scalped and uh, Hellblazer and things like that. But the new series that I recently discovered that I'm really uh, enjoying and I feel I pretty rarely pick up new series. I'm just, you know, slaving away on ones I've been reading forever. Um, but The Wicked and the Divine, have you guys heard about that or anyone else reading that?
2: I have it on my wishlist on Amazon. So, I, t-
3: I, I was yeah. really impressed. So The Wicked and the Divine, the premise is that uh, there are there's a pantheon of gods who show up every 90 years or so and Uh, have godlike powers, but are fated to die within, I believe it's two years, and so basically kind of live as rock stars for those two years, and complicated things uh, happen to them. And um it was highly recommended to me by somebody who only ever recommends good things and I read the premise and I was like haven't I read that vertigo comic like four times already <laughs> um but and then I got it and I was I was kind of blown away so um I strongly recommend it. Lisa will read it too and then we'll find out which of us is right.
2: Also so. I love scalped so it's yes. a plus a++ plus for rereading that this was one of my favorite series of the last 10 years.
0: All right. Monty, anything you're reading you want to plug here? Um, I think the last
5: live comic book I read was Death of Wolverine number three, and you can tell how riveted I was by the fact that I haven't gotten to the number four he, where he yeah. actually mm-hmm. dies. He does. Is, yeah. he, is he okay now? No, uh, no he's still dead. <laughs> he's dead. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's got a good year or so of death coming. People still buy comic books after Wolverine dies. I just I didn't know how that works. <laughs> we don't know
3: yet.
2: I thought Tony. Marvel shut down after Wolverine dies. Yeah, who's
0: who's in all the comic books then? Spider Man and Deadpool mostly there's a new new marvel comic that's like death of wolverine aftermath so they just keep playing it out
5: no that's so that's just people wondering going what are we gonna do now that wolverine's not yeah hey remember wolverine yeah wolverine was great flashbacks to when he was alive Oh, wolverine yeah yeah um i have really enjoyed the adventure time comic book uh written by ryan north who does the Mm, daily dinosaur comic on the web although he's not going to be writing it anymore so i'm not sure where that's going uh and I've been trying to get into Doom Patrol.
2: Uh, it is some
5: nonsense. But I enjoyed <laughs> the first trade paperback of nonsense, so I'm mm-hmm. hitting the second one. Are All right. you reading
2: the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Chip, anything uh, Any other than Promethea, any comics you've been reading lately and liking? Um, I have been
4: taking advantage of some of the holiday sales that Comixology was doing, and uh, I have discovered mark wade's daredevil oh yeah that's good that's really that's good. really good that's really good and i i am not terribly interested in wolverine the character so um i have not been reading the death of wolverine but the stuff that paul cornell wrote leading up to that
0: right the two years made, of uh he did like yes. 24 issues i think of wolverine volume yes five and six or whatever it is uh, fantastic up, made yeah. me made me care
4: about the character um only only in only in that writer's hands not enough to follow it with a to a different writer but um i i i, I highly recommend it and it Stands on its own uh, without any of the event stuff that oh,
0: follows. Nice. Erica? you read many comics I don't actually know this about you or, or was Promethea a big one for you lately? <laughs> uh,
1: it, it, well it was lately. I, I My comics phase I, well actually I haven't read a whole lot of anything in the past few years but um, I have done a little bit of rereading. I've reread a, a few of my old Hellblazers um, recently but actually I we just rearranged our uh, podcast studio slash Lego Room where some of my comic books also resided and I ran across a few that I haven't started rereading yet but it's, it's next up on my list to do. Uh, it's a very very short truncated series called Abadazad, which um, sadly, crushingly was only three issues long because it was published by CrossGen and then they went out of business. And it was it was kind of aimed aimed at children and it was a, a story of a, a magical land that a, a young sort of grumpy teenage girl had had read these books, uh, very Wizard of Oz like. But then of course she discovers that it's it's actually a real place and she has to go there and, and rescue her little brother. And it is a fantastic realized false world and it, it's Really cute characters, and it was just a. I'm a sucker for anything that's remotely like The Wizard of Oz. So you know, Labyrinth is my one of my favorite movies. This this was right up my alley, and it was really well done. And I was just so heartbroken when it got uh, oh. when it got cut short. So I I just brought up the Wikipedia page, and apparently they made some Disney bought the rights, and they made some children's books out of it. So I may have to pick those up just to see where the story goes. But yeah. So I will be rereading Abedazzad and I, I recommend it for anybody who is into that sort of thing. But be ready to have your heart broken because it doesn't keep going. All right.
0: And uh, I guess that leaves me. I wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, I've been reading old X-Men issues in Marvel Unlimited, uh, which is fascinating because my memory of X-Men stories, I actually have been reading the X-Men af- from when I stopped reading the X-Men in the mid 80s. And now you remember why you stopped? Um, I am reminded of that, but I, I, I'm also sort of fascinated by the fact that now I have 200 issues or whatever just sitting there that I can just flip through with no charge. Um, I am reminded that my childhood crush on Kitty Pride would not have survived had I kept reading for another two years because <laughs> they, they do some horribly 80s things to her. And I, my memory <laughs> would not be nearly as fond if I had allowed that to go on a little longer, but instead she was frozen in 1983 or whatever, when they, uh, they didn't put her in the fishnets. So that was okay. Oh,
2: she was adorable in 1983. Yeah,
0: she really was. So anyway, I am fascinated by that. I'm also reminded that one of the problems and maybe I, I'm hoping we actually will do this in an episode. One of the problems I have with the X-Men and one of the things that I, I think makes it hard to talk about them is that it, it, in the Chris Claremont era, they really, it was like a soap opera. And so it's actually very hard to hold on to the storylines. There are these storylines you can point to, but when you actually go back to the issues, you realize they're all mixed up and threaded in with all this other stuff. And it's actually very hard to get a hold on something and say, this is an X-Men story because it all ends up played across, you know, the X-Men and the new mutants and uh, this mini series and that mini series. And they're all kind of interleaved with other storylines that are also happening. And it becomes very hard. It all kind of falls apart. <laughs> well, uh, when you try A lot to of that, that is just Marvel
5: comics in general at the time. Yeah. Like this mm-hmm. is a really good story. Thor turns into a frog. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. The Beyonder is also in this issue. Yeah, have oh, to skip well, I, I just went pages. through Secret
0: Wars and Secret Wars 2 and the X-Men, and I'm like, man, this is rough <sighs> stuff. This is, like, like, literally, there's, like, oh, and now we're at Central Park, and we're going to go through this gateway, and then in the next issue, well, we're back from the Secret Wars. I'm like, oh, man, I remember that. That was not good. And yet, that's where, like, Spider-Man's cool black costume comes yeah. from, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, it's just fascinating. Like I, I want to talk about like the Brood War uh, ep- uh, issues yeah. of X-Men, and they're great, but when you try to pick out exactly what they are, you kind of can't because they're all intertwined with all this other stuff. Anyway, it's been fascinating. I, I, uh, feature request for Marvel Unlimited. I'd really love them to have some sort of chronological reading list for some of this stuff because I would really mm. like <laughs> to be able to uh, read an X-Men issue and then just go to the New Mutants issue and then go back to the X-Men issue because instead <laughs> I have to kind of do that myself. But um, anyway, that's been fascinating um it's it's like uh, I've returned. Ba- I went back in time to where I abandoned all those comics, and I'm now picking them up. Um, so that's fascinating. I wanted to uh, also mention um, that I'm reading the Spider Verse story in Amazing Spider-Man, and I I mention this because it's as an as a an event. It's okay because it's pretty self contained. There are spin off issues, but the main story is in Amazing Spider-Man. The thing that I really like is that it's integrated. You know, not only some new alternate universe Spider-Man characters, but also um, every Spider-Man character from every medium ever and there is a particular scene in I think one of the issues from last month where the actual um, cartoon characters from Spider-Man and his amazing friends Spider-Man Firestar and Iceman in their cool New York apartment pad slash superhero team headquarters um, are brutally murdered. (sighs) <sighs> and uh i can't Poor believe Lion. i can't believe they did it but they did it and it is kind of hilarious also there's there's a scene where they where they where they go to the um they go to the da- Daily Bugle of J. Jonah Jameson from the 1967 animated Spider-Man series, which is pretty amazing. So uh, it blew my mind as a longtime Spider-Man fan to see all that stuff in Spider-Verse.
4: I believe that they recently dropped in the 1970s Japanese yes. Spider-Man oh, yeah. with the giant robot. With a giant
0: robot. Yeah. He factors in too. It's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, it is a love letter to all the variants of Spider-Man over the years. Um, and I want to throw out there, there's a new Star Wars comic that's coming that's apparently going to be like the biggest selling comic in the last 20 years. Um, um, I'm excited about that because I want to see if they will uh, also reveal how Darth Vader drinks coffee using the Force, <laughs> like in the original. I'm excited about that because Humble Bundle just sold a whole bunch of old
5: Star Wars comics, yeah. so I can really get into that when I get around Those to classic it. classic old
0: Star Wars comics. Anyway. All right. I think we've reached the end. Yay, comics.
2: Yay. Alan Moore, yay. Thanks. Yay.
0: Thank you for your service, Alan Moore.
2: You make us feel smart. <laughs> and
0: and or stupid, yeah. sometimes simultaneously. Mm-hmm. The bottom part, I felt really smart. And the top part, I felt really dumb. Because it's all <laughs> happening at once on a page with letters and colors. And all and, creepy in the middle. Oh, yeah. man. That's the Alan Moore sandwich right there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Make all right. sure to chew, people. Don't just swallow it. Yeah, moh, No.
0: <laughs> All right. I'd like to thank my guests for being here. This was amusing, fun, uh, good conversation as always. And yeah, you should, you should check out, if you haven't, check out Promethea and you, your mind will be blown. Um, we are not responsible for that. If your mind is blown, um, you're going to have to take care of that yourself. Tony Sindelar, thank you for being here. Comics, they're not just for kids. Don't let your kids read this one. Yeah, <laughs> really don't, don't. No. <laughs> uh-uh. Hey, kids, don't read these comics. No. Yeah. Erica Ensign, thank you.
1: Thank you. This uh this may have sort of rekindled my my comics reading. Uh this is, it might be a comics renaissance for me. Go read.
0: Better comics.
1: Monty <laughs> Ashley,
0: thank you. I
5: actually remembered Prometheus being crazier than this was. That uh, uh,
2: <laughs> was
5: nuts to me
0: at the time. No, it's just yeah, mostly nuts. Fifteen years later, it's just kind of crazy. Not totally nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Chip Sutter, thank you again for being on an episode that had nothing to do with Doctor Who or Babylon 5. So good job. Thank you. Good to have you. You're spreading out. You're branching out. I'm growing. Yes. I'm, I'm
4: growing like a... Oh, no. No. Cob- no. No, metaphors. no.
0: No. 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 <laughs> no. And Lisa Schmeiser, uh, you did this. Yes, um, I
2: did. <laughs> I did this to you all. We'll hatch. I...
0: We'll hatch a plot for the next comic book club and what we're going to read for that.
2: I don't look forward to it. No,
0: the the point of the comic book club, now that we're at the very end, the point of the comic book club is we would like to find things that are relatively um, readily available, don't require a lot of reading around the edges. You should be able to read a trade or two and get something out of it, which I really believe for comics. That's sort of what I was getting at when I was talking about the X-Men is, you know, you shouldn't really have to read like 100 comics in order to appreciate the, these four issues there should be you know some stuff that's more accessible that people can pick up a couple of uh, trades and, and get something out of it and we can talk about it so that's the plan for 2015 is to do some more of that on The Incomparable this year well thanks to everybody out there for sticking with us uh, from the comic book club we'll be back at a later time and we will see you with another episode of The Incomparable in a week
5: Did anyone read that text page that's right at the beginning of Promethea? Yes. Oh, wow. Congratulations.
0: (laughs) (sighs) You win. At the bottom, it it, it tells you you don't have to read any of the issues, and uh, you can just go on the podcast. So if you read to that point. (laughs) Mm. P.S. She's a sex goddess. Okay, good night, everybody. Love Alan Moore.